there, it's Carrie. Thank you so much for joining me on this latest episode of Invisible Wounds Healing from Trauma. This is episode 15, and we're going to talk about the fact that we don't know what we don't know. I'm so glad we're walking the path towards healing together. So just a quick reminder, I'm not a clinician, counselor, or physician. I'm a certified trauma support specialist with lots of lived experience with trauma. Also, the information presented in this podcast is for educational purposes only and not meant to replace treatment by a doctor or any other licensed professional. All right, let's dive in. So we've been talking in past episodes about things like attachment styles, how they form, and how they can affect not only our relationships with others, but ourselves as well. So today I wanted to talk about the fact that we don't know what we don't know. Another, well, duh moment, I know, but bear with me a minute here. This is in the context of being raised in a toxic, dysfunctional, and or abusive family by caregivers who didn't teach us things that we needed to know. I've described children before as little sponges, and it is so true. We learn everything from our caregivers. We watch them, listen to them, watch their body language, everything. These are the people we live with. They're supposed to care for us, guide us, love us, teach and support us so that when we grow up, we know not only how to navigate in the world, but navigate through our own personal experiences. Those may be things like handling and dealing with emotions, dealing with setbacks, disappointments, loss, creating, developing, and maintaining relationships with people and other challenges life can throw at you. If we're taught how to deal with these things, we can see situations for what they are, formulate a plan, deal with it, and move forward. Things might stop us, but we can find a way forward and be more resilient. However, if you grew up in a household like I did, full of dysfunction, instability, abuse, addiction, and chaos, what you do know and what you don't know can look very different. I did learn a couple of useful things from my parents. My mom was very loving, very demonstrative. There were lots of hugs, cuddling, and I love yous. So I learned to be loving and how to show that to others. From my dad, I learned to work hard, and I've always worked hard. He went to work every day, and I mean, if he missed a day, and that was rarely, like if he was really sick, I thought he must be dying in order to be home from work. So those are positives, right? But even these lessons I learned got skewed. They got twisted. My relationship with my mother was completely enmeshed and our roles were reversed. I parented her, not the other way around. And through that, I learned that love often 
can come with a painful cost. For my dad, work completely absorbed him to the exclusion of everything else. I did that too. At one point, working three full-time jobs, not at all healthy for either me or my kids. The behavior my parents modeled for me and my sister was so toxic. With my mom so sick all the time and my dad gone traveling a lot, when they were around each other, they were either fighting, silent, or carrying huge balls of resentment around with them. The air was so tense, it was thick, and I was always waiting for the blow-up that I knew would come. They didn't ever seem to even enjoy each other's company. I mean, they could fake it if they had to, say, in front of friends or around any of my dad's business associates. They entertained a lot. We had a lot of business people over for dinner, but I knew it wasn't real. When they argued literally every night, I don't remember what it was about, but my dad was usually drunk and my mom would be crying. There was never any calm discussion. No, so here's a problem we have. Let's talk it out and try to find a solution together. My mother also told me so often, let's not tell your dad about this. So we became secret keepers. So I learned that open, honest communication not only wasn't safe, It wasn't allowed. And showing emotions, that was trouble too. If I got upset or cried, I was told to stop it, quit it. There was no help or relief for me in dealing with the constant terror, hurt, sadness, and anger that I felt as a child. We all held on to our anger and resentment of each other. My parents also held grudges against each other. They would snipe at each other with little passive-aggressive comments, making references to arguments or pointing out each other's many faults. This was especially true of my dad towards my mom. His behavior towards her told me in no uncertain terms that he felt she wasn't good enough and didn't measure up to how he thought a wife should be. Her response to that kind of treatment with me was telling me that everything was my dad's fault. And she was totally the victim and the martyr. And I'm not knocking her. She had a very difficult situation. She was sick, and I understand that. But her behavior was just as wrong as my dad's. And with this kind of constant information from my mom, this only made me hate my father and become even more protective of my mom. At one point, I think I was maybe seven at the time, she went into the hospital again. But this time, it was about four months. And it wasn't like all of the other hospitals she'd been to before. I remember when my dad and I went to see her, we met outside the hospital on the grounds. I remember green rolling lawns and benches. We never went inside to see her, and I didn't understand why she wasn't in a room, in a bed, on the floor of a regular hospital. I also didn't understand why she was gone for so long. I remember on one visit, she had made me a bookend. It was the head of a horse, and she gave it to me. Later, 
I found out this was a mental hospital. My parents never, even as an adult, told me the real reason she was there. When my mother did get out, she told me that my dad put her there because he wanted to get her away from him. And my dad once vaguely alluded to the fact that it was her addiction to meds that landed her there. While she was there, my dad still had to travel for work, so we had a succession of caregivers that came to stay and care for me while he was gone. They were all horrible. They ignored me, spanked me, and were abusive in other ways. That weird secret keeping came out in other ways, too. At around the same time, we had a dog, an Afghan hound. My dad was obsessed with Afghan hounds for a while, and her name was Samaris, or Sammy for short. Sammy was big and completely out of control. She jumped on everyone who came over, scratching them and nipping at them. And she was completely my dad's dog and only responded to him. So one night when he was gone, my mom gently went to move Sammy over on the bed so she could get in and go to sleep. Sammy reached out and ripped my mother's upper lip area, the area between the nose and upper lip, completely in half. There is a big artery network there and she bled like crazy. I had to call an ambulance to come take her to the hospital. I remember she got a lot of stitches. My dad came home, and that next Saturday morning, he put Sammy's leash on her and went to go take her out the front door. That was unusual, so I asked him what he was doing. He said that he found a new home for Sammy, that she was going to a farm where she'd have lots of room to run. Made sense to me at the time but I really don't think that's what happened. Again, even as an adult, when I'd ask my dad about it, he never told the truth. He always stuck to the fact that she went to a farm. Dealing with death and grief was another big area where not dealing was the norm. Death is tragic and horrible, no matter what, and is a very difficult thing for anyone to handle. When first my sister, then a month to the day later my grandfather died, there was no coming together, no shared grieving between my parents and myself. We all spun off into our own separate worlds. We didn't comfort each other. We never talked about it. We didn't remember the good things about them that we missed. I mean, we never, ever talked about it with each other. It was this great big giant 800-pound gorilla in the room that we all ignored. Our lives were never the same after that. And it propelled me fast forward into an angry, rebellious, drug and alcohol-induced nightmare through my teen years into my early adulthood. It's only really in the last couple of years that I can look at pictures, particularly of my sister Erin, and not fall apart, even though it's been 46 years since she died. I still miss her so much and wonder what kind of person she might have been. It's okay for me to remember, to miss her, and remember the good times we had and just how much she meant to me. 
My parents also never taught me how to do much of anything in a practical sense. I learned how to cook and clean and do laundry on my own. I did watch my mom cook, but lots of meals for me were TV dinners on a TV tray in front of the TV. Really, the only way I learned how to do things was by reading directions and just figuring stuff out as I went along. I was also never taught boundaries. When I was a kid, I remember my dad wore this big gold ring with a flat head. I'd be watching TV in the living room, either sitting on the couch or laying on the floor, and he would come over and just thunk me really hard on the head with that damn ring for no reason. And it hurt. I'd tell him to stop and that it hurt, but he didn't. He did that all the time. He would also think it was funny to come over and start tickling me hard on my rib cage, behind my knees, and under my arms. It hurt. It wasn't funny, and I would tell him to stop, but he wouldn't. He kept going, even when I got scared because it was too rough. I would start crying, and then he'd get disgusted and make some comment that he was only playing, only teasing. It didn't feel like fun or playing to me. So my voice, my feelings, my opinions were never respected. I was never heard. I also had no privacy. I was never allowed to shut the door of my room. If I did, either my mom or more often my dad would just burst in asking me what I was doing, like I was doing something wrong. Even as a teen, my dad would just randomly burst in on me, and it didn't matter whether I was dressed, undressed, in bed, out of bed. I never knew when he was going to just charge into my room. I was also, of course, never taught how to be held accountable for my actions. As a little kid, my constant fear would lead to temper tantrums. My dad would either throw me in an ice-cold shower, fully clothed, or spank me hard with a hairbrush. I remember it was a big, brown-handled hairbrush with black bristles, and it had a big, flat back surface, and it hurt. But as I got bigger, there were threats of punishment, but never any follow-through. As a teen, when my out-of-control behavior spiraled out into the stratosphere, I knew they might be mad at me, but there wasn't anything they could or would do to stop my behavior. So I knew that once the yelling was over, it was over. And I just went back to doing whatever it was I wanted to do. So what all this means is that if we weren't shown or taught things like boundaries, respect, self-worth, self-confidence, trust, healthy relationships, accountability, how to experience and deal with emotions, how to experience and handle conflict or loss. How can we expect ourselves to know these things? If we didn't have healthy people around to teach us, to model good behavior, to show us the way, we aren't going to know it. We learn survival strategies, maladaptive or unhealthy ways to deal with things or cope. We do whatever we need to do in order to survive, to get by in life. 
Unfortunately, we drag those unhealthy ways of dealing with things right along with us into adulthood. Then when we react and respond in certain ways, we get angry with ourselves. We self-blame and self-shame. We compare ourselves to others. We can say things to ourselves like, well, look at them. They went through X, Y, Z, and it was bad, and they function well. Why can't I? We can't ever truly know what another person has had to do in order to get to where they are, and it's completely unfair for us to judge ourselves against someone else. They also might outwardly seem okay, but behind closed doors, it could be a whole other story. We just don't know. Maybe they had a healthy person or professional intervene somewhere in their lives, and if they did, that might have helped them be able to move forward. So if we didn't have that, we aren't just going to be able to magically think ourselves into making the changes we want to see in our lives. It takes learning, gaining knowledge, finding what works for us, then putting these things into practice and doing the hard and sometimes really messy and painful work we have to do in order to heal. There is no magic wand to wave, no perfect formula that's going to fix everything. We have to do the work on ourselves to be able to move forward. When we learn new things about what the trauma in our lives has done to us, we can begin to change that idea of we don't know what we don't know into, well, now I know some things and I can use this knowledge. And how we use that knowledge is completely up to us. We can take that helpless feeling we've had and start by putting some new things in place for ourselves, new ways of thinking and understanding. We can take back some of that power and gain some control over ourselves. And that spills over into our lives. This takes forgiving ourselves and then giving ourselves some grace, lots of self-care, self-love, acceptance. And if we know better, we do better, right? We did the best we could with what we knew at the time. But now we can make changes today, one tiny baby step at a time. So this is where I like to close us out with a new exercise that we can add to that mindfulness toolbox that we're building together. Remember, you don't have to do this now or at all if you don't want to, but you might just listen and tuck it away in your mind for future reference. The exercises I'd like to invite you to try are called havening techniques. Havening techniques use touch to generate delta waves in our brain. Increasing the delta waves in our brain can reduce anxiety, and it can change the way our brain functions. This technique is particularly helpful if you're experiencing a trigger or having anxiety. You can also use the soft havening touch along with sound, like humming a short familiar song like Happy Birthday, or another familiar song of your choosing. 
I'd like to invite you to rate your level of anxiety right now on a scale of 1 to 10, with 10 being the absolute best you can be and 1 being the absolute worst you can be. If you need to write down that number that you rated yourself, you can. You can do these exercises either with your eyes open or closed. It's up to you. If you have your eyes open, have them rest on something, maybe a wall, a picture, whatever you choose. We always start with our mindful belly breathing. Breathe slowly in through your nose, your belly naturally pushing out as you inhale to a count of five. Hold your breath for a count of one. Then slowly exhale out of your mouth. Your belly should naturally move in as you exhale to a count of five. Do this five times. Next, I'd like to invite you to picture in your mind a calm, soothing image. It could be anything, a place, a situation, a person, whatever image you picture that feels calm, soothing, and safe for you. My image is always a white sandy beach at the ocean, somewhere tropical, the sun is shining, blue skies and blue water, waves gently lapping on the shore. Hold this image in your mind and continue with your mindful belly breathing. To begin the havening exercise, we rub the palms of our hands against each other in a relaxed way, not with your hands stretched out tightly. Gently rub the palms of your hands together. This could be a back and forth movement, or you could rub your palms together going one way only. You can use either hand to do this. This could look like your left palm facing up, and with your right hand, palm facing down, place it gently on your left palm, right where your wrist meets your hand. Gently move your right hand over your left palm from that starting point to the ends of your fingers. Repeat that movement for about 20 seconds or as long as you'd like. Next, we're going to cross our arms over and against our body, like we're hugging ourselves. Our hands should rest on our shoulders with our arms crossed over our chest. This is a relaxed self-hug. Your arms should be relaxed against your body, and your hands should be relaxed as they lay on your shoulders. Next, gently run your hands down over your upper arms, starting from your shoulders down to your elbows. The line you follow is the natural part of your upper arm that's there with your arms crossed. When you reach the elbow area, place your hands back on your shoulders and again, move your hands down to that elbow area. It's a gentle downward movement, picking your hands up when you reach the elbow area and moving again to your shoulders moving your hands down your upper arms. Do this for about 30 seconds 
or as long as you'd like. Think about the feeling, the connection of the gentle sensation of your hands running over your arms. If you'd like to, you can hum that short, familiar song I mentioned to you before while doing this movement. It could be happy birthday or anything else that's familiar to you. Whenever you're ready, come back to your mindful belly breathing. Do as many rounds of it as you'd like. I'd then like to invite you to go back to our scale and rate your level of anxiety now on that scale of 1 to 10, with 10 being the absolute best you can be and 1 being the absolute worst you can be. Did your new number show any improvement in your anxiety level? Did you notice a shift? If you didn't, please don't be discouraged. If this is new to you and you find it helpful in any way, practicing it and using it when you're feeling triggered or anxious will make it easier to do and easier to notice if it works for you. I hope these exercises are something that you found helpful and it's more tools to add to our mindfulness toolbox that we're building together. Whenever you need to go to that toolbox and pull out any skill we've learned in order to feel more grounded, safe, and connected, do it. I have created a list of all of the techniques and exercises we've learned on my website, InvisibleWoundsHealingFromTrauma.com, and we'll add to it as we go along. I've also put each exercise to beautiful video and music on my YouTube channel, Invisible Wounds Healing from Trauma. And please subscribe if you like what you see and hear. Thank you so, so much for taking the time to listen today. And please keep on listening wherever you listen. Please like, subscribe, favorite, and follow me. And what you think really matters to me too. So comment on the show. Let me know what you think, whatever's on your mind. You can find me on Facebook at Invisible Wounds Healing from Trauma, on Twitter at Carrie Walker 58 and my websites, InvisibleWoundsHealingFromTrauma.com and andddvnow.com. Look for my new episodes dropping every Monday on all of your favorite podcast, music, and listening apps. Please take extra good care of yourself, and we'll talk soon.